Um, turn over to the book of Colossians. We're in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We talked about uh, Christ being the head of the church, uh, being the preeminent one, obviously the authority, and, and that is uh, one of the primary principles Paul is uh, trying to instill with this uh, uh, body of believers here, um, very specifically wants them to grab the concept that uh, Christ is in authority, that it's the word of God that is uh, where we go to, where all things should be that preeminence, it's uh, Christ our first thought, uh, Christ our, our our first response, Christ is our first everything. And that's what the preeminence is, and that's what we talked about last week. Um, and in verse uh, um, 19 is kind of where we will begin to where we left off, and it talked about where it says, "For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself. By Him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven." So, so we're going to get through hopefully these two couple of verses here to talk about, uh, what God is doing with Jesus Christ, what he has done with him, and the, if you will, what we as believers need to look at as Christ is our preeminent one in our life. Before we do that, let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for this time. Thank you again for all that you've given to us, uh, through your word. I pray, Lord, that you just be with us this, uh, morning. You'd speak to us from the book of Colossians. You'd teach us, you'd instruct us that, Lord, we would please you and serve you all the days of our life. Thank you again, Lord, for this time. Pray you'd be with uh, me and my mind and my words, that all this would be pleasing and honoring unto you. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So in, in verse 19, it's talking about pleasing the Father. And I'll tell you, one of the most important things that, uh, that, um, Jesus Christ set as a, uh, example for us is this. He came to please the Father. He specifically said he came to do, uh, the Lord's will, the Father's will, not his will. Meaning that he wasn't going to be engaging in doing the willfulness of his flesh. What he was doing was to please God. And we find obviously that we've already talked about that over in Revelation chapter 4, that that is part of what we are to understand as believers is that all things were created for his pleasure. All things. It means that it's going to please him. The stuff that he is doing, the stuff that he specifically enacts in his will, that is something that he wants to see, if you will, a pleasing result in. We, we, we like to be pleased. When, when something happens and occurs, we, we, we like to be, um, uh, um, pleased with the outcome. Now, again, perfect example would be, uh, if you noticed, I finally got my soul back. Um, I know that sounds weird as a pastor of a church, but I did. Uh, so I got my little Kia Soul back, and uh, they finally got the steering rack and pinions parts. Uh, you know, I guess they had to specially remake them or whatever from Korea, regardless. Took about three and a half months to get those things. And uh, 
Um, you know, when, when, when you're out the use of a vehicle, you're not pleased. And in the end of it, uh, you know, Kia really stepped up and uh, stepped up to the plate and tried to make sure that I was pleased. You know, the part was replaced. It was put in. It was a priority. Once the part was in, that was the first priority was getting that car out. Um, and, uh, then, then Kia corporate turns around and says, you know, we're, we're going to do something for you because you haven't had the use of the car. We're going to make, uh, your, th- you know, next three car payments. And I'm like, well, I'll take that. I'm not going to argue <laughs> free money. I'll take that. Thank you. Um, and, and they said, okay, we're going to send you a check. And while the check may take the, as they say, 45 to 60 days, Hey, regardless, it was a pleasing result. What did they want? They wanted to make sure that I was pleased with the service and pleased with uh, the, the outcome. There was a lot of stuff that I wasn't pleased with beforehand, but they wanted to make sure that the outcome, eventually what happened and occurred, was pleasing to me. We want to make sure things are pleasing. You know, we sit down to a, a meal, you want to make sure that that meal is going to be pleasing to you. If it's not pleasing, you're not going to eat it. You're going you're, you're gonna to abstain from that. You're going to say, um, no, I, I, I don't think I want that. If it's something that is smells funky or looks weird or you take one bite and you're like, I don't even know what that is. You're just like, oh, no, uh-uh. Mm-mm. You're not pleased with that. Well, here we are seeing that what, what God's will is, is a pleasing thing. If you want to please God, you have to be in his will. You have to be in his will. As we've talked about time and time again, it says that it is impossible to please God if you do not have faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him is what scripture specifically says. So as we look at this here, where it pleased the father, he, he, he had this purpose behind what he was doing. And then with this purpose, there was going to be this eventual pleasing part. And that is to have the fullness of God dwell in him, dwell in Jesus Christ, dwell in mankind. There he is in the flesh, created that way. And as we see over and over again, he talks about this fullness being in Christ. It pleased the Father. Turn over to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. And here is Paul talking to another church, specifically again about this. And it says in verse 22, um, back up to verse 21, it says, uh, talking about Jesus Christ, um, he is uh, far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. He has put all things under his feet and gave him uh, to be the head over all things to the church. Now, this is, this is a part of that fullness uh, principle that we're talking about here. All things to the church. 
Again, this goes back to the preeminence, and we'll get to that, but let's finish with verse 23. It says, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Mankind has a problem. Mankind has a problem in that man is not complete. Without God, man is not complete. And man has gone about their entire life attempting to fill that void, that empty spot in their life. They fill it with whatever. I mean, you can name it. People have tried it. Career, family, uh, uh, you know, drugs, alcohol, um, you know, uh, uh, addictions, whatever. What, I mean, you just, people have tried to put whatever in there, thinking that it is going to fill them, that it is going to complete their purpose, that it is going to complete who they are. You know, you, you hear these people going out and talking about, well, I'm going to go on this, you know, adventure and I'm going to go find myself. It's one of the most bizarre statements that I've ever heard. Because number one, you're standing right in front of me. So you, ha, you're found. Um, but if you're talking about finding your purpose, if you're talking about finding your personality, if you're talking about finding out what it is you're to do, the Bible has all of those answers. God has all of those answers. In Genesis chapter 1 and in Genesis chapter 2, God makes it perfectly clear that God did not want man to be without him. He kept him alive. He keeps us all alive. And, and here he is talking about the fullness of, of, of Christ. He is the all in all. You, if there's ever anything that we need, that's him. You know, I made that comment about uh, um, contentment. And I'll tell you this, the, one of the main reasons people are malcontent is because Christ is not enough. God is not enough. The word of God is not enough. The blessings of God are not enough. The church that he gave us is not enough. Salvation is not enough. That's the mindset. Like, well, when I'm complaining, I'm not necessarily, no, but that's what you're communicating. Because again, if we were to really truly believe that it was enough, those words wouldn't be uttered. Because what is in our heart comes out our mouth. And here he is talking about that Christ is going to be everything for the church. All things for the church. And I'll tell you this, I, I, I have seen some of the most bizarre things. Now look, I, you know, before I was a pastor, I saw some weird stuff. Okay? After being a pastor, I saw stuff that got even more weird. And I'm talking about what people do that they think is worshiping God. 
again, you know, I, I, I use the illustration of, uh, you know, here they are preparing for their, their, their grand, you know, Christmas special on, on the, the, this church and on the big, you know, massive LED board behind them is Jesus blinking and flashing to the point of where you're going to have a seizure. And, and, and then you've got three drummers tied to these things that are on these, you know, rails and they're flying through the air as they're drumming. And they're like, that's worship service. That's a good worship service. No, that's a performance. God doesn't want you to perform for him. He doesn't want you to put on a show. You know what he wants? He wants your whole heart. He he wants you. He wants you engaged. Not engaged in watch of, of what's going on, but engaged in the worship of God. To engage in the worship of God is to participate in the singing, is to participate in prayer, is to participate in listening, is to participate, if you will, in participation. And what I mean by that is the doing part. Worship isn't just on one day. Worship isn't just one point in, in, in your life or, or at specific times or something of that nature. Worship is what you do with your life. If you will, worship is the Christian lifestyle. Everything we do should worship God. Why is that? Because everything we do should bring praise and glory to God and it should please him. And I'll tell you, churches today, they are totally out of sync with that. They're all about performance. They're all about, uh, uh, um, you know, whatever else it is that, that, that the world wants and the way that God wants to see or excuse me, the way the world wants to see God. Not the way God wants to see it. Not the way God wants wants worship to take place. It's supposed to be, if Christ is, is all things, as we saw over there in the book of Ephesians, where he says in verse 22, gave him to be head over all things to the church, the question has to be is, is whether or not they even asked God if that was appropriate. God, is this what you want me to do? God, does this please you? Now, somehow, in their demented thinking, they think it does. But I tell you, when they go to the ways of the world, and they go to the wisdom of the world, and they go with things that are are, are carnal and fleshly and and selfish and devilish, and, and uh, um, evil and, and all of these things. You're like, well, not all the churches do. Well, they are if they're seeking to get things from a worldly perspective. Do you know how much of Christian counseling is done from a worldly perspective? They don't use the word of God. They don't use the word of God. They use modern psychology. They use humanism. There, there it is the problem. Turn over to the book of John, John chapter 5. John chapter 5, talking about this fullness. 
everything having to do with the church and everything that has to do with us, because again, we are the church, the body of Christ. If you're, if you're a saved, born again believer, you are a member of the body of Christ. Um, you know, there's people that run around and they try to, you know, if you will say there's multiple bodies of Christ, that each congregation is a body of Christ. And I understand that we talk about, you know, a body as a congregation and a group of believers and stuff like that. But, but I'm talking about the, the, the concept of they think that each body is separate and that in order to get into that body, you have to be baptized in their church or by somebody that they recognize that is an appropriate person for that church. Otherwise, you got to be rebaptized. Otherwise, you're not going to be in the church and you're outside of it. You're an alien. That's a false doctrine. That, 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 I'm sorry. You know what that is? That's called exclusivity. That's called preference of people. That's a, it's a dangerous doctrine. It leads to, to, to forms of legalism. It leads to forms of, uh, of, uh, um, yeah, abuse of authority. It leads to all sorts of crazy stuff. God doesn't, doesn't mention that in scripture. If you're born again, saved child of God, you are baptized spiritually into the body of Christ and you cannot be removed. You cannot be removed. Those guys run around and say you can be. They say, well, if you fall out of favor with the church and then they, they excommunicate you and they expel you, then you are, you're not in good standing in the church. And if you're not in good standing in the church, then you are not in the body of Christ. Um, chapter and verse, please. Uh, cause I, I, I see something in there that says nothing about plucking us out of a God, uh, you know, the father's hand. Uh, I, there's verses where it says he'll never leave me nor forsake me. There's something that says, uh, nothing shall separate me from the love of Christ. Oh no, no, you're still loved and you're still saved, but you're just not in the body of Christ. I'm like, Oh, whatever. You know, just anyways, moving on on that. John chapter five, John chapter five, verse 23, it says, uh, um, talking about Jesus Christ, that all men should honor the son, even as they honor the father. He that honoreth not the son, honoreth not the father, which he hath sent him. And here's, here's part of the issue. God bestowed that honor in pleasing that he should be the fullness of everything. All salvation rests with him. There's nothing outside of salvation through Jesus Christ that will get us into heaven. There is nothing in this world that will give us eternal life. There is, there, there is nothing in regards to the forgiveness of sins that compares to what took place on the cross. The fullness of him, the completeness, all of that is found in Jesus Christ. This is the honor that he gave him. This is the honor that, that is given to him. And I'll tell you, there is this huge problem when people do not honor Christ the way he's supposed to be honored. They're not honoring God. 
I'll tell you, you get involved in some of these, you know, apologetic type debates or when you're maybe out telling somebody about Jesus Christ or you're, you're talking about salvation or something, and they'll turn around and they'll start using something, you know, some other excuse or something. And eventually this always comes up. Well, I've always believed in God. I've always believed in God. And that's great because the devils believe and tremble too. So moving on from that point, what do you do with Jesus Christ? Because that's, that's what it's about. It's about Jesus Christ. People will get this kind of ecumenical movement, you know, universalism saying, oh, hey, well, you know, everybody's got their own way to get to God. There's many doors to heaven. The Bible says specifically, he says, I am the door. It means there's one door. Anybody that tries to get in any other way, he calls them a what? A thief. What are they trying to do? They're trying to steal eternal life. They're trying to take what's not theirs. There is no back door to heaven. I was talking with a guy one time, and he, that's what he said. He said, well, I just kind of believe that, you know, everybody's got their own path and their own way, and we all, most of the time, we don't go through the front door. You can go through the front door, you know, which is uh, that whole Jesus thing, but, you know, some of us just like to go through the back door and enter in casually. Look, if somebody tries to enter through the front door without you being aware of it, or excuse me, through the back door without you being aware of it, that generally does not end well. And for most of the people in our church, it won't end well for that individual. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it, I, I, I'm not saying that to, 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 you know, say that that's what needs to happen, but I, oh man, somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody tries to go in the back door of heaven. I can just see Michael the Archangel standing there. Really? Really, this is what you want to try? Or maybe that, that, that cherubim that had the flaming sword over there, because obviously, you know, he, he, he's not going to be guarding that tree of life on earth anymore, but he's still got that flaming sword and he's playing around with it going, this is cool. You know, he's at the back door now. He's, somebody tries to get through the back door and meet him. Just meeting him would be terrifying enough, but now he's got a flaming sword. That would be even scarier. No, the only way you get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. He fulfills all requirements, if you will, for salvation. He has fulfilled all the law. He has fulfilled everything that God has asked for, for when it comes to salvation. He has filled all of it with himself. And God has given him this honor. And, and specifically has said, this is what I'm going to do. We, it's about him. It's about Jesus Christ. And it says, he that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father, which hath sent him. Because somebody believes in, in, in another God, if they believe in Buddha, but they don't believe in Jesus Christ, guess what? They're not honoring him. Then they're not honoring the Father. They're not honoring God. They don't get in. Let 
People say, well, you know, there's, you know, well, well, the, well, the God of the Jews, you know, the Jews nowadays, they get to go straight to heaven because, you know, they're Jews. No. Oh, good night. No. No. What about our physical heritage ever would put us in that category of being able to be received in heaven? Not a thing. Why? Because it's all corrupted. But I will tell you this, when it comes down to salvation through Jesus Christ, it is filled. It is complete. It is accomplished. All fullness dwells in him. Go over to John chapter 1, you know, since we're there, and you take a look at verse 16. Talking about John the Baptist in verse 15, he says, John bear witness of him, talking about Jesus Christ, and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. What is John the Baptist doing? John the Baptist is doing what every preacher, every Sunday school teacher, every junior church teacher, every Christian should do. Not me, Christ. Don't look at me. Look at what he has done and what he is doing. Because here it says in verse 16, and of his fullness... Have we all received the grace for grace? We will get to receive that fullness. Because that fullness dwells in him, because it is in him and God has, it's pleased him that all fullness should dwell in him, then when we receive Christ, our salvation is complete. But I will tell you this, We are full in Christ. We are full in Christ. What what, what happens when you sit down at a meal? And you begin to eat your meal? You start to fill up. What was it your parents always told you? No dessert before dinner, otherwise you will ruin your appetite. What does that mean? If you eat 16 cookies, you're not going to feel like eating your green beans. I don't feel like eating those anytime, but that's all right. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? They, it, it, they want you to eat what is being prepared. I mean, we've heard it all many different ways. Spoil your supper, ruin your appetite. Uh, uh, all those things about that, because what they didn't want to have happen was for you to sit down and not be able to eat what was given to you because you were full. And you sit down to a, a, a meal, and, and, and here's, the, here's the concept. You eat till you're full. Most people don't even understand what that means. They think being full to the point of where you're exploding. That's overfilled. <laughs> that's, that's a problem. Being full means that that's it. Nothing excess. You've stopped. You're satisfied. When we're full, we're satisfied. 
the fullness of Christ satisfied what was required for salvation. How, how, how can a Christian have a life without Christ? Now, obviously, we have a life with him, you know, eternal life, but, 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 but follow me on this. How can we live our life to the fullest if Christ is not preeminent? If we don't go to where the source of what's going to fill us is. If, if he's not enough. We can't. And we certainly can't live to please God. We certainly can't live to please God. And here's, here's where we go a little bit further. Let's go back over there to Colossians. And he talks about, you know, obviously the fullness. And again, this is to establish that preeminence, to establish the authority of Christ in the church. Uh, that, that it's, it's not about man. It's about Christ. It's about God. It's about what he's doing. But here we are in, in, in this passage, and in verse 20 it says, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether it be uh, they be things in earth or things in heaven. So here's the reconciliation process. Now, yeah, you, you, you've heard me talk a lot about reconciliation. Because reconciliation is needed when there is a breach, you have to go through that process. Something is wrong. That's why I, that's why a reconciliation needs to occur. When, uh, when I was doing financial, uh, work, there was, uh, a process where we had to, what we called recon. You reconned the, the account, which means you reconciled it to what was actual and what the customer thought. Because there would be many times that the customer would keep on their books, well, I took this credit and I took this and I took this, but if it wasn't an authorized credit, then guess what? You still owe the bill. I'll give you an example. Let's say you got a credit card bill. Credit card bill is $2,000. You're like, okay, I need to pay my credit card bill. Uh, you know what? You know, I went out to eat that one time and that wasn't a good, it didn't, it didn't taste quite right. So I'm going to go ahead and not include that. Um, you know, I bought that, uh, thing that people told me I shouldn't buy because it was from China and it broke. So I'm not going to include that. Um, you know, I just wasn't satisfied with that product. And you come to this concept and you go, okay, well, I, I, there's about a thousand dollars worth of stuff I don't think I should pay for. And you send in a, a check for, or do an online payment. Cause who uses checks anymore, right? Uh, so you do your, <laughs> you do your online payment and, uh, and, and you, you pay a thousand dollars and they go, well, you know, you get a phone call from the bank saying, uh, you only paid a thousand bucks. You still owe us a thousand. Oh, uh, no, I don't think I owe that. And they're like, well, why? Well, I just don't feel like paying it. Uh, yeah, it don't work that way. Well, in the financial world, there's a, that happens a lot, very frequently. And you, you have to get a hold of the customer and say, why are you short paying us? Your check, you know, your invoice amount was for $60,000 and you decided you're only going to pay us $40,000. What's, what's the issue? 
Well, I'm going to take those credits. Well, you can't take those credits yet because you haven't paid for them. So you can't take that off. And I mean, there's, there's all this stuff that has to go through this process. So we go through the process of reconciling. What is it they say? What is it that we say? And in the end, we come to that, what it's supposed to be, what the truth is, what the truth is. So the reconciliation process also occurs when there's a breach of trust, when there's a breach in a relationship, when there's a problem. Reconciliation has to occur. We are ambassadors of that ministry of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians 5. We'll get there. But what we see here is that as a as somebody that is reconciling, we are to make things right. So a person makes that breach, they've got to go through the process of reconciling, making it right. That, that, that is an important step in that process. It's an important step of, of forgiving. It's an important step of, uh, of seeking that forgiveness. It's an important step of admission. I mean, there's important steps all along the way. Reconciliation is one of them. Because it's not appropriate, biblically, to just go and say, oh, okay, uh, you know, all's forgiven, um, and, and never have anything reconciled. God made it reconciled for us. He reconciled all things and said, this is what is right. This is what needs to be done. Now, obviously, somebody can not agree in the reconciliation process and say, well, I don't want to go through that process or I don't want to do that. And, and, and that that's on them. But there should always be an attempt to do that. So if, as an example, trust is breached. There is a responsibility of the individual that breached the trust to reconcile that trust, meaning that they have to rebuild it. And they have to rebuild it scripturally. The other person in the process has their own, you know, if you will, requirements, meaning that they can't make them jump through fiery hoops and move the goalpost 15 billion times and, and make them do this and make them do that. And it's some sort of torture thing. That's not how it works. God has a reconciliation process and it is all done through Jesus Christ. Eliminating Jesus Christ from the reconciliation process just is going to make the matter worse. It just makes the matter worse. And here he is talking about everything being reconciled. Turn over to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Let's take a look at a couple of passages here where, again, this is, this is emphasized. Romans chapter 5. <clears throat> Romans chapter 5. And obviously... Um, you know, the, you start there with verse 8, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Praise the Lord for that. Verse 10, for if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You know what he's talking about here? He's talking about this fact that we at one point in time were far away from God. We were enemies. 
If you have not trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are an enemy of God. You're an enemy of God. Because you're doing everything against him. Everything against who he is and what he has done. He makes it clear right here, we are reconciled to God by the death of his son. That reconciliation process requires something to die. Typically, when you're talking about reconciling in a relationship, you know what usually has to occur? Death. Something's got to die. You know what typically has to die? Pride. That critter has got to be killed 15 million ways to Sunday. It cannot be part of it. You cannot be reconciled if pride exists. You cannot be reconciled if pride continues uh, to push an individual to do the same things. What do we have to do? We have to die to ourselves. We have to, as God has made clear here, this fullness, this preeminence was because of his death that caused this reconciliation to be occur, to occur where God said, that is a sufficient sacrifice. That is sufficient. It has fulfilled all the things that is being required when it comes to the, 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 the death. Because of sin. Doesn't, doesn't the Bible specifically say the wages of sin is death? In order to pay for sin, something has to die. That was established in Genesis chapter 3. The devil questioned it. But oh, a death did occur. Paul talks about that in Romans 7. Paul talks about that in Romans 7. Take a look over at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. This is the, the passage that I was just referencing, talking about this process of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, I, I want to start with verse 14. He says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we are all, then we, excuse me, then we're all dead, and he, that he died for all, that they which, sh- which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So here's the concept. Jesus Christ reconciled by his death. He died for that purpose, meaning that we should not live a life for ourselves. He covers that also in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the end of the chapter. But what do we find here? He says in verse 16, Wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now, henceforth, we know him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. He's talking about spiritual rebirth. He's talking about John chapter 3. Ye must be born again. 
In verse 18, he says, all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, okay, I died on the cross for your sins. You're trusting in that for your salvation, the shed blood of his cross. Therefore, the purpose behind what you're doing, not living for yourself, is that you are now commissioned to do a ministry. Yep, every Christian has a ministry. Every Christian has a ministry. That ministry is to ensure that you communicate that man can be reconciled to God. That this can be fixed. You know, people just throw up their hands and they say, oh, this world's just going to hell in a handbasket. Well, yeah, it kind of is. And they say, well, there's, there's nothing that's going to fix it. Well, Jesus Christ will. And Jesus Christ has. What does that mean? You can have forgiveness of sins. And, and you can be reconciled. You don't have to be an enemy of God. You know, we like to pick our enemies. We want to pick an enemy that we can defeat in battle, right? Why in the world? I mean, here you are. Just, just think about it for a second. Anybody in here professional fighter right now, currently employed as a professional fighter? That's what I thought. <laughs> Let's say you decide to make an enemy of the guy that has, you know, I don't know, let's just say 10 belts from boxing, 10 belts from wrestling, 10 belts from MMA, and who knows how many victories in various street fights. And you decide to walk up to him and you say, I don't like you. And you poke him in the chest. You're trying to provoke him. You say, you are my enemy. I am here to defeat you. How well do you think that's going to go? For him, him, yeah, it'll go real well. Yeah, it'll be very quick. (laughs) And as a matter of fact, you just might want to call the ambulance ahead of time. Because you're going to need it. But why, why in the world would we want to pick God to be our enemy? But we did when we chose sin. We chose to be an enemy of God. We chose to be a child of disobedience. We chose to be a, a, a child of wrath instead of a child of God. We chose to follow the prince of the power of the air, the God of this world as has been uh, um, elected in this horrible election. But, but, but again, I want to point that out. Those are all choices that people make. And we as believers understand that we need to communicate that reconciliation saying, hey, it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to be an enemy of God. 
And he says in verse 19, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciled the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Well, where's the word of reconciliation? It's found in the Bible itself. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, and we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. There needs to make sure that there's a reconciliation that occurs. And, 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 and we have to get to this concept where we realize the importance of what that reconciliation does. And he summarizes it here in verse 21 of the same passage. He says, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In order to get that righteousness, in order to be filled with that righteousness, in order to have that, Jesus Christ took all of our sin on that cross and shed his blood to cover it. The blood of his cross. So that we, in the sight of God, would be righteous. He did that for you. Now that is a great way to reconcile something. When the person who can't reconcile themselves to that standard that God has set forth, God says, okay, you know what? I will go ahead and I will do the reconciliation for it. I will make it right and and here's what I will do. That would be the equivalent of what we were just talking about with the the credit card. And you say, well, I can't pay that other $1,000. And the credit card company says, okay, well, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go ahead and take the hit and we're going to pay it for you. You'd be like, oh, that's nice. Thank you. Even though it is your debt. Whether you think it is or not, it's yours. You racked up the charges. But, but, but again, let's, let's put it into a little bit more of a stark comparison. Um, let's say the guy next to you did the same thing, but this time he charged 20,000 and he only paid 10 and he owes that other 10. But then let's be very, very, very realistic of all of this. You owe that thousand. Well, actually, you owe the 2000 because you couldn't even pay the 1000 You racked up all those charges, $2,000, you can't pay it. The other guy racked up $20,000, he can't pay one cent of it. Could you imagine the credit card company taking everybody's debts and saying, we're just going to wipe it clean? You're like, oh, that credit card company wouldn't be in business anymore. Tank the economy. Well, let's put it this way. You're not going to tank God's economy of grace. You're not going to tank God's economy of mercy. Because it's so much more. And it's so much greater than our sin. So when Jesus Christ says, you know what, I'll forgive your sin. I I want to be reconciled. I want to have this relationship. I want you to 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 commune with me, as he says. I, I want to come in and sup with you. 
I want that relationship. He says, I'll pay for it. I'll die on the cross for you. He reconciled it. That we would be made the righteousness of God in him. So that when Jesus Christ looks at a saved, born again child of God, somebody that has trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior, you know what he sees? He doesn't see the sin. Nothing is imputed on their account. It says, paid in full. The fullness of him. The fullness of him. I want to take a look at uh, one more verse here. And uh, turn over to Hebrews chapter 2, and then we'll be done. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, and in verse, um, verse 17, it says, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. What does that mean? Made in the flesh, John chapter 1. That he might be merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God and to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he's able to succor them that are tempted. He has gone through all the temptations that you have gone through. Yet without sin. And he said, I'm going to make, I'm going to put myself in their form. I'm going to put myself in their position. And I'm going to show them how much I love them by doing this. And he's going to be that high priest, if you will, taking care of that. And he's going to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. He's going to set the standard. Only through Jesus Christ can we have that eternal life. Only through Jesus Christ can we be given the righteousness of God. Now, next week, we'll pick up with uh, talking a little bit more about the verse about the peace part, where he says, having made peace through the blood of his cross, that's something that we need to make sure that we understand. Because I'll tell you this, in the reconciliation process, requires peace. You can't be reconciled if you continue to fight. It doesn't work that way. The fighting has to stop. And Jesus Christ finished it by spoiling the principalities and powers that we'll get to later on in the book of Colossians. But let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer for right now. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this time and opportunity. Time, Lord, to to sit and uh, hear your word and to see exactly what you've done for us. Lord, may we please, please just have that concept in our hearts that you are our fullness. You're the fullness of everything. That only through you can we live a, cry, a, a life that is is filled with purpose and, and, and with pleasing you. And Lord, again, I just thank you for this time. I pray you just continue to meet with us for the 11 o'clock hour. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.